This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right there. Good morning, friends. It's Jared here from 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful day. Hopefully you're hydrating. Hopefully you're eating enough. Hopefully you're getting enough sun. Um, everything on our end is going really well. I want to talk a little bit about that first, and then we'll introduce uh, our guest, who is an often guest. One could even call Kelly McManus even a co-host on some level. Um, but before that, so a couple of places that we're going to be. So first and foremost, ne- uh, both NextGen, HMGS as the parent organization, and 20-Sided Gamified, all three of us. So we're going to be at PAX, which is in December in Philadelphia. It's the first weekend of December. It's going to be awesome. So in terms of what we're going to be doing there, Kelly and I, again, co-host, Kelly and I are going to be there along with a bunch of other HMGS guys. So the HMGS people, they're going to be running some demos. 20-Sided Gamified and NextGen, we're also going to have a table. We're going to have some swag. Big 20-sided gamified banner, which excites me. Going to have some business cards to hand out, some easy ways to get people listening to the podcast. Hopefully, we're going to interview some people. We're going to run some demos. We're going to walk around, have some fun. Totally, totally looking forward to it. Also, what's really cool is my school, Brunswick School, is actually sending me there. Because again, so much of what, at least I I won't speak for Kelly, but so much of what I do out there uh, is so connected to education that my school loves when I go to events like this. So that's one thing that we're going to be collectively doing. The other thing that we're going to be doing is in April of 2024, I'm going to be doing some presenting at Salute 2024 over in London. You you certainly know him. He's going to be a guest, I think, more often on the show. My buddy Titch White from Hotlanta, as I like to call it, he and I are going to be going overseas He's quite the experienced traveler, so he's going to be the Magellan of the group. So 20 Sides is going to be there. Again, you know, we're going to get some, hopefully some, some more people listening to the pod, hopefully, you know, interview some people. So many folks that I've had on the podcast that over the course of the year are going to be there. So people from Pendrock and Miniatures, and that episode will drop soon. Um, my, uh, my buddy Martin Goddard is going to be there from Peter Pig Miniatures. I could just go on and on and on, but there's so many folks overseas that are going to be in attendance. So hopefully we can uh, do some chatting, do some potting over there. going to be a lot of fun. And like I said, I'm going to be doing an uh, educational panel as well. So all really, really good things. Next Gen has a ton of events on the docket. And maybe uh, Kelly and I will get into that in a, in a little bit, just in terms of some of the events that we've been doing, some of the corporate trainings we've do, been doing. So... If you're not bored yet, now I think uh, we really need to make this pod interesting as I uh, welcome my friend and somewhat business partner, <laughs> aficionado of gaming, oh, no. Kelly McManus. What's going on, Kelly? How you doing, Jared? I'm doing well. Did I overwhelm you with... Uh, with no, no, it's very, it's very... <laughs> sometimes co-host, sometimes this, sometimes Well, you that. are, though. I mean, I think that you, you know, you've been on a bunch of times. And like yeah. I was saying before we started recording... I want to do more of these. I want to. I want to just do more conversations with people like you, Titch, Corey, uh, 
New Jersey Steven, as I like to call him, just getting friends on and talking more casually about some things that we've been doing and such. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly, how's your life going? How was everything? I'm on vacation, so everything's great now. <laughs> ah, so that's why you seem so relaxed. Yeah, no, that's no, great. Just, and we have daylight savings time, so yeah, got that extra hour of sleep. How'd that make you feel? I feel awake. <laughs> yeah, you feel awake. That's great, dude. So. so, yeah. So, look, dude, in terms of some stuff, so there's definitely some stuff on my mind that I wanted to ask you uh, that I think our, our listeners will hopefully get a kick out of. So, Kingston Stephen, as I like to call him, apparently yes. was... He made the drive to to New Jersey, huh? The He's other a night? committed man. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. For those of you who don't know, um, what I, who I like to call Kingston Stephen. So he's. If you go on Instagram, he's and Kelly, jump in if I'm incorrect on this because I, I always I always want to call it something different. He's armchair general, right? Armchair emperor. See, this is what I mean. Yeah. There you go. So up. Kelly, since you are the the official co-host of the show, can you say that one more time for everybody? Yeah. So if you want to uh, figure out who Kingston Steve is, he is Armchair Emperor on Instagram. Yeah, social media. I was going to say Instagram.com, but that sounds weird. Yeah, it does. Almost <laughs> redundant. But yeah. So he. So I guess he. Um. For 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 our audience out there. So he's a friend of really all of ours. Mm-hmm. He's a friend. He's almost a professional friend too, because he's definitely done over the over the uh, last couple of years. He's done some next gen events. He's got this awesome fifty four millimeter French and Indian War setup. And Kelly, again, because you are here to make sure that I'm not incorrect about anything, that's what you played, right? Yes, How was um, it? it? It was a lot of fun. So if I mean, if anyone's been following your social media, be it next gen or twenty sided or or even mine. <laughs> um, I have, or we have posted about Steven or included Steven in some of our posts of games that have happened. So Historicon, for instance, was the big one. I think he was, I, I kind of want to say like his game was like a big, yeah, big flag flagship, you know, like you, you couldn't miss this game if you were there. Um, so he does 54 mil, um, seven Years war, yeah. more French and Indian, more uh, French and Indian, more than seven years, but it's the same thing. Uh, war gaming, and and he brought some of his stuff with us because he he's testing out a new game for uh, next to Storicon twenty twenty four. Um, which instead of going instead of Fort William Henry, it's going to be like a typical raid somewhere hmm. in like the New York frontier. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, no, that's in the, cool. Yeah, in the game he had. Provincials, militia, and uh, British regulars against a mixed French milice and uh, Native American force. Gotcha. So, pretty cool. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would play 54 millimeter games and enjoy them? You know, at first, I was at fr- like, you know, so I'm, I'm new to the hobby, but and I'm always going to say that <laughs> compared know, to you probably stop, everyone though. else who's Yeah, says yeah. This. I mean, um, but. You know, compared to everything else I've seen, 54 always seemed too big. But I'm also the guy who's hoarding, like, uh, like uh, was pla- armies in plastic World War One. Oh, sure, always, yeah. Like I have boxes of that. Did you play with those as a kid? Yeah. So I got those very late in my kind of childhood. Like I got them when I was a teenager. So yeah. I had like one summer of playing with them before I thought like maybe it's not cool to be playing with toy soldiers anymore. <laughs> right. Um, right. And now look at you. <laughs> but now, like, I'm hoarding them, like, like they're gold. Um, 
but yeah, no, I never really thought because I was thought like, oh, they look too big. Like, where where would I store them or anything like that? But the more I thought about it and meeting uh, Kingston Steve, uh, it it was always a something like I just knew it was going to happen one day. Like he's yeah. going to play them. Like, it's just like any other game. Yeah, it's just a little bigger. Them, you need- yeah, he paints them really well. I think that that to me is what sort of sells the scale for me when he does it. I guess the yes. only other comparable. I'm just thinking of people that I know that you can compare it to. The only thing that I can compare it to would be the big Sudan game from this summer at Historicon. Do you remember that? Where it was like there were three or four different tables all kind of connected and there was space in between each of them. Do you remember that? And yes, it was like I do. Yeah, it was port. like the Sudan or something. Yeah, or yeah it, was the, it was a colonial game. Yeah, I guess that's the only other... 54 millimeter game that I've seen that looks as good, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah, he paints, he paints really well. Apparently yeah, he does beautiful. commissions, I guess. He does. Yeah. That, he says that's like armchair emperor is his sort of brand name. And he, I don't know if he's doing commissions. So don't quote us yeah. on that. Cause I, I think yeah. I remember talking to him a couple months ago. He said like he was only doing them for select people. Cause yeah. he's busy with, with, you know, for life, but. Look, here's the thing about Steven, and I've tried to get him on the show. He's hard to pin down, right? Steven, if you're listening to this. How Steven is not famous is very hard for me to understand. Like, if that dude set up, and again, for our audience, don't worry. You're going to get a little little bit more info to have this make sense. But how he's not famous and how he doesn't have a YouTube channel with millions of views of all the wild stuff that he does is beyond me. You know? does Has he told you about this? Like, his interests and such yeah and i know like some of his interests yeah because you've known him way longer than me you've known no, i haven't long. so no, you haven't. I, but I, you went to the same school didn't we you? went to the same school we had one interaction once but i think he was a senior i was a freshman in, in high school so like we vaguely recall maybe meeting each other once during a game day night thing that one of the teachers was hosting and that right. was it right gotcha that's it. That that is a really interesting, weird connection. Yeah, but that, that that's almost suitable, right? That's almost suitable. Yeah, it is very true. So for our audience, right? So Stephen is into all sorts of stuff, and so I, here I'll focus on the on the stuff that he's interested in that connects most to what we do. He's really, really into New York history mm-hmm. and New Jersey history and Connecticut history, and what he'll do on weekends is he'll go to burial sites, he'll go to battlefields, he'll go to famous locations set during, for example, the American Revolution or the French and Indian War, and he just knows everything about these places. And I always joke with him about him being famous because honestly, I could totally see him as being a, and I use this word positively, almost like the eccentric adventuring host, like an Indiana Jones type um, on like the History Channel. I could totally see him doing this. So I don't know if you're a you're a uh, a publisher of content out there, or if you are a filmmaker or videographer, Stephen is definitely a guy that uh, if you want to make millions, you might want to reach out to. Because I'm telling yeah. you, at some point or another, he's going to do it. I mean, that probably what would be even better is like if I were him. Not that I'd say like if I were him. Yeah, 
But um, like he could probably even like market that as like, hey, we're going to this location. I'll oh, give a totally. tour, and like you pay X amount of money, and then you curate the like he could curate the experience. Oh, absolutely, like, and that would be amazing. And then like I, do a war game at night. You yeah, know? yeah, no, totally, totally. <laughs> I love how we're talking. He's not even here. I know. You know he's somewhere out there, probably <laughs> listening, we're, we're maybe just, listening. Yeah, we're admiring him. I'm no, sure for sure, flattered. for sure. All right, so Stephen, <laughs> if you're out there listening, you should be flattered. Um, all right, so tell me about the game though. Yes, the game was fun. Uh, we we had to pull three tables together, which uh, we we did it at the Dimension right where I work, which is a little difficult because we're in the middle of um, some some work that's going on that requires us to use a lot of tables. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to pull three, and yeah, like I said, it's kind of like a like a. Not, I don't want to say skirmish in, in the traditional sense, like where one model is one model, but it was a skirmish mm-hmm. in terms of a larger battle. Like these are only a couple hundred guys facing each other um, and it was a raid uh, for the French to burn down a house, a couple crop fields, a church, and a hut. Um, And when I say the French, I mean like French, Native Americans, like that sort of coalition force. Yeah. How uh, do the rules work? The rules are very simple. So he pulls three... He's pulling from three different rule sets. Uh, One was a board game, and I have the rules downstairs, which Mm -hmm. I could run and grab them if you want. Yeah. Um, But he uses um, like a lettered ordering system. And by what I mean by that is each unit has like a letter attributed to it. So that's the way the game follows. So you move all letter A units first, then B units, then C units. Firing is happens all at once. Um, It's an I go, you go system. And each side has commander points that they could use. There, there are a finite number of them, uh, but you could use them to do things out of order. So typically, in the, the way that we played this game, um, is that the attacker had initiative, so the attacker is always going first. Right. But the defender could use a commander point to offset that and go, like if they want oh, to cool. do movement first, I they love could games do that. like that. And these commander points also act as dice rerolls. So if you're at this really critical moment, you really need to, you know, if you need your firing or your melee fighting to go well and it rolls terribly, you'd use the number of points to reroll the number of dice. Makes sense. That reminds me a little bit of one of one of my guests from earlier in the uh, season, I guess you could call it, uh, Eric Farrington, who wrote Men of Bronze mm-hmm. and, a, and a bunch of uh, games, Wars of the Roman Republic and all that. And I think there's a somewhat, not exactly the same system, but like somewhat of a similar similarity there where, you know, you get X amount of points, you can use them for different things. So it just makes you, it gives you opportunities to make decisions, which really should be, you know, the ethos of any good game. You yeah, know? he, he, so, his, no, it's fun. Stephen was talking, Kingston Stephen was talking to me and the the whole goal of the game is for it to be like a beer and pretzels game, but it's it's primarily going to be for um, conventions. So it. it has to be easy, but it's still like his whole concern when we were kind of beta testing it was he wants it to still he wants it to feel like a French and Indian War game. Yeah. Um, and so I keep think, that period feel. Yes. Yeah. Got it. It can be tricky, and I know we've talked about this before. It can be tricky to differentiate between a good convention game and a good like club game, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, if you're, if you're playing in a club and you've got people that all know the rules, it's one thing, but bringing that same rule set to a convention where you never really know who's going to walk up. Yeah. It, 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 
it it definitely it takes a sound mind to figure out the difference between those two things. You know, yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah, and I think he could do. I mean, I, he can. He's I've really heard, good. Yeah, like his his uh, Fort William Henry game was. I heard it got like grave like great reviews. You know, yeah, Everyone and he's like a it. machine. I think he ran the scenario like five or six Multiple times over times. the course of the con. You know, yeah. So what about you, Kelly? You thinking? Because I know we talked about this in the car ride. You thinking about running a game at, still, at, at the con? Are you still debating it? Or? Yeah, I'm still. I'm still trying to figure out if I did what I would want to do. Yeah. Um. Because ideally, I know, like when we talked, my initial idea was to do Seven Years War, right, on six mil. But I haven't had the chance yet to buy more six mil to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then the second thought was, I know we had talked maybe co-running a game together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, sure. for AWI. And I have all the miniatures that are bought more, so that might be yeah. more realistic. But I don't know what is like. I don't know what's kind of standard for con running games. Like, do yeah. people like historic games? Like, like battles based on an actual, like a game based on an actual battle, or if they like something that's a bit more fictional? Because I, I always like making my own. Like yeah, fictional yeah. engagements. I feel like from the years that I've been going, there's a healthy mix of both, I think. You know, you'll you'll definitely find some games, like definitely tried and true games. Like there's always an Alamo game. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to think of some others like Little Big Horn or Gettysburg. Like there's definitely always some some tried and true historical, you know, reproductions, maybe you could call them. Mm-hmm. But then there's plenty of other other games where you kind of line them up and go. I think people just want to have fun. I think as long as it's a fun game, you know, you know, people are going to sign up. Like the game I ran, I mean, I guess you could call it a. I ran Bella Wood, you know, mm-hmm. at Glass Historicon, and but at the same time, I mean, I probably could have called it anything else and run the same game, you know. Yeah. So, which yeah, I Fran- think I, you know, it's kind of looked the same during <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's very true. So, um, I, I, you know, I've been thinking the same kind of the same stuff, like what I want to do, because I'm definitely going to go. That's that's for sure. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm tempted to make some more World War One boards and because that game is so easy and it's so fun. The I ran I ran the first night that we were there I I ran the game using bolt action and I think you correct I think you played that right that was yeah I was there for that right that was good but I think the next day was better because the rules were easier you know mm-hmm. um as, and you know what the other thing I've learned too if you put beer and pretzels in the title of the game or in the description I think you're gonna get um, with no disrespect to certain player types but you're gonna get people that just want to have fun you know crack yeah. beer. Hang out, and I think that I'm gonna probably whatever I run, I want to shoot for something like that, something easy and something quick, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was a game I ran for the club a couple months ago. Might have been like September. Um, it was a game based off the Little Wars TV rules. Yeah. Live free or die, and it was a scenario like it was kind of a mix of different historic battles, but like on alternate timeline sort of thing like if uh what was that northern army that came through oh what um burgoyne's yeah like if burgoyne's army didn't hit all the hiccups it had so it was able to like kind of come together and have a pitch battle that you know didn't have all the other kind of background things going on um so that was a little fun and i liked the way i set it up where uh, half the field was or i guess like half of the battle um Part of it was already engaged in range and mm-hmm. combat. 
Um, another side of it was they were lining up to get ready to engage, and then I had a Makes third sense. component of them walking onto the field. So mm-hmm. you could kind of get the my my idea is having like club members try to think of like okay this is already going on. This mm-hmm. is about to happen. And when we have our reinforcements, where do they go? And yeah. they're coming in the middle so they can make Smart. that split. Now, what was it like running it? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully, I had Stephen, uh, New Jersey Stephen there. He front-loaded the rules while I was setting up. Um, yeah. and, and it's an easy game to pick up. The rules are literally two, three pages long. Right. So it's, it's a game that just goes, and we were, we were able to do a lot in the two and a half hours that we played. Yeah, it's fun, definitely. So, what have you been working on? Because I know you you paint you you finished your Vikings, right? Yes, I finished my Vikings. So, what are you doing your, with yourself now? So, New Jersey Stephen wants to do some World War II. He wants mm-hmm. to do like the early campaign of the German Blitz in Western Europe. Uh, so, mm-hmm. he painted up a Dutch army uh, for like 1940, mm-hmm. and I've been painting up um, Germans for that. Um, cool. So, I'm just about finished. With that, I just have to paint the commanders. I have some half tracks I want to paint up. But uh, I, I usually, whenever I go into these projects with yeah. Steven, I buy more than I need. Oh, always. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I'm a always disease. like, what do I need? Like, you know, what, what force composition do I want to throw for different actions? Yeah. What scale are you doing it in? We're doing it in 15 mil. Cool. Do you guys I mean, have rules yet? And do you know what you want to use? He has rules. I, I forget what the rules are called. But I think like our bases are kind of agnostic for anything, so yeah. it should be like if we don't like them, we'll try something else. Yeah, so I, I get it, I get it. And w- so, I mean, are you guys thinking of putting on like huge, huge games or smaller games? Or I, I don't know because we we've had the discussion about scale a few times already. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said like, and now this is something me and him will always go back and forth about. He he had mentioned like the base. Like one infantry base was like a battalion of men, but like to me, fifteen mil one base of like four or five guys, like that doesn't translate a battalion yeah, to battalion me. Battalion is massive. Yeah, to me that that reads more of like these guys are like a platoon or a squad yeah, platoon, or maybe a company. Squad, company, yeah, 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 um, makes sense. He's also mentioning like one one unit of a tank or whatever is like three tanks. It's like mm-hmm. I'm like that doesn't sound right either. Yeah, um, but it, it like that doesn't really matter. Um. But he has like a relatively small force. He has like six bases of infantry, three machine gunners, like two or three commands, and like two um arm uh like infantry fighting vehicles is like yeah. the modern term I'd use, like yeah. some sort of armored car. Right. Um and I have <laughs> uh, like six tanks, nine oh, infantry yeah. bases, like six or nine MG bases, three mortar bases. I have half tracks. I have unbuilt Opal Blitzes. Stokes. You have a lot of stuff. And, yeah, I went all out. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, it, it happens, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, it's but, always fun. It's always fun finding a new rule set, you know? Yeah, and I was also like everything I buy, I always buy with the anticipation that I'll be building a secondary force for it. Yeah. So I wanted to have enough of this so I could be like, oh, well, maybe I want to do the opening stages of Barbarossa, right? So I'll buy Russians for mm-hmm. that or um, I don't know, maybe British for some of the early like uh, yeah. Dunkirk. And World, World War II is certainly a conflict where you can do that. I mean, any any kind of conflict where there's a lot of different moving parts to it, it's like you get one force, then you can just kind of go from there. That's kind of what I did with my Napoleonics, you know? Oh, yeah. Kind of start, start with some, you know, French and then you, you go into all the, you know, other 
allied forces that's, and enemies and such. That, that's my next project. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous project, Kelly. It's a very, very, very dangerous project. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing the thing of rebasing and then repainting. Oh, that's the so, worst. Yeah. It's really the pits. <laughs> that's you know? this week. Yeah. So you're, oh, right. So if you're off, then that's, that's going to be the plan. So are you just going to get in there with an X-Acto knife? Or? No. I, so when I painted these, I used like really cheap craft store paints because mm-hmm. this is like when I first started. Yeah. And the bases, I just use like Elmer's glue. So I'm just going to soak them in water and then yeah, peel them. Yeah, smart. And then take a toothbrush and, and some soap and just, you know, wash yeah. off the paint. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, I, it's funny. I use plenty of craft paints. Everybody, you know, oh, they're great. all over them. They're no, fine. No, they're great. Yeah. yeah. No self-deprecation Did, there. You, you uh, have Kelly. to, oh. no, you just have to get the right ones. Like I got the, like the, like the 50 cent bottles, but if you get yeah. like folk art, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Folk art. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's funny when we were talking about, I don't remember if, no, it was when we were, Maybe it was before we came on. You know, we were talking about my friend Titch, and he swears by the idea of using just different paints from different companies. You know, oh, some yeah. some companies are going to have better reds than others. Some are going to have better oh, greens, so oh, on yeah. and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. I hate painting red. Red and yellow are always kind of kind of tough. You know, I found that. And I'm sure your listeners are going to hate this, but I always kind of glob it on so it looks like coherent. Yeah, like, yeah, if you yeah. don't, it's always going to be streaky. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'm just not doing it right. <laughs> well, I think I think what what most people would say. I mean, again, I kind of wish uh, you know. Again, like I feel like what, really what this podcast is about is talking about all the success of the podcast to this point, <laughs> Kelly. Because I keep talking about people that we've had on. Yeah. You know, Dave Taylor. If you know Dave Taylor, he was. I don't remember what episode number he was. We didn't. The funny thing is, we didn't talk about painting, despite the fact that he's essentially like a master painter. Mm-hmm. I think people like him. I mean, they they'll use so many different shades of the same color. Oh yeah, you know. So I think it's it, it comes being, down you know to what I mean? yeah, it comes down to um, your eye and how skilled you are as a painter. You could literally use anything and yeah, you'll yeah, get yeah. the result that you're looking for. Yeah, like the one thing I when I started and I absolutely it like bothered me. I'm not going to say I hated it. Mm-hmm. Was like you have to buy these paints. And you have to paint it this way so they look like this. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but especially for historicals, like how many how many of these factories were producing the same shade of oh, blue? Oh, of course, yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. It's absurd and ridiculous. Yeah. Well, even just the way in which we paint our miniatures, you know, if we're painting, and it kind of doesn't matter whether it's historical miniatures or sci-fi or fantasy, you know, we we often paint these guys, you know wearing you know bright uniforms and they're mm-hmm. like as if they're going out on parade and ultimately you know most of those guys would be wearing different shades of the same uniforms they'd be covered in mud they yeah. would in some cases not have been issued the newest uniforms and let me tell you if you're going to start napoleonics like that this this will come up there you know where you have armies that may have changed uniforms over the course of you know x amount of years or change headgear it can get very i don't know for me um i do get sort of ob- obsessive you know, so it can be a challenge, you know, yeah. to not drive yourself insane when it comes to all of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I paint my stuff or I've noticed that I paint all of my miniatures a bit more drab than mm. other people. Like a, a lot of people use bright colors to contrast it yeah. and they all look great, but I've always like when I'm looking at inspiration, I'm seeing like kind of the dirt from paintings or other works of art. And it's just like, right. okay, like I'm, I'm going to try to hit that as realistically as possible. Then maybe right. pops. Right. So you're, so the last project you did were, were those Vikings. What, what do you plan on doing with those? 
Um, I want to play Ravenfeast or Saga or like cool. anything really. Um, I haven't played with them yet, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it happens. Look, I, I've, I've told you this before. I mean, look, I have an embarrassing, I mean, somewhat embarrassing collection of miniatures, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, not. You have a treasure, well, treasure trove. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so look, for, for the audience out there, when you've been painting miniatures for 30 years, you know, you, you collect stuff. So let's just say, you know, Hopefully, if somebody ever like robbed my home, hopefully they would realize, or ho- hopefully I would hope that they think. Maybe I'll phrase it that way: that those miniatures aren't worth anything, you know, because <laughs> it's probably the most valuable thing in my house. You know, well, is, the, you know. Well, let's be real: the only people that would <laughs> see the value in it would rob your house, and then they they wouldn't have enough uh, speed or dexterity. No, to it's take true. All of the yeah, house. yeah. You know. <laughs> but what I was gonna say is, dude, I'll, I'll have stuff. I ran a game uh, again. Shameless plug. Uh, next gen, I should phrase it that way, ran uh, uh, some games at Yale a few weeks ago. And dude, I had, t- I had ran a, sec- a second Anglo-Afghan war game for some of the students. And I don't think I had used those figures in years, literal years. And I had to reorganize them. And on one hand, one might say, oh God, like you're almost not getting your money's worth and time. Uh, back if you kind of do it that way. But at the, but on the other side of the coin, it's kind of like, hey, I haven't used that in years. I'm going to use it now and have a blast with it. Oh, you know? absolutely. So I, I, I don't know what the right answer is in that case. But I, I don't think there should be like uh, kind of get, I mean, if it's your hobby, you know, you, you have these things here, you collect them, and you get to break them out every now and again. That's just part of the joy of, of having them. Totally. Being part of the hobby. Raven Feast is pretty fun from what I understand. It's like a good introductory type game. Mm-hmm. Lion Rampant is really good too, and I think it w- it could work really well. Like that system, uh, Daniel Mercy, um, that could work really well for for your Vikings. I don't okay. know about Saga though. I've personally never played Saga, but Saga is one of those games where have you uh, looked into it at all? I, I know that it does. Um, like units are like you have to group them all together, and they have to be the same. I think. Yeah. So yeah. like that part of it, I'm not big on because like they're my my guys are individual, which I know like the soggy units are individually based and they're on a tray. I know what you mean though. Um, but my guys are individually based, and like I kind of want to keep them that way because each yeah. one, like each um mold, each model has its own different pose. Because I bought yeah. them from VNV, and I just bought his entire almost his entire catalog. Of Vikings, um, so they're all unique and they're all different, and I kind of want to have them, yeah, be that way. Like, yeah, they'll form shield walls, like you know, they'll fight like Vikings, yeah. but you know, I kind of want that art because I put a yeah. lot of time to painting them. I want yeah, that to stand yeah, yeah. out. No, totally. Um, Saga is one of those games I've never played it before. I just know that fiddly is probably not the right word, and also I probably shouldn't even say that given that I've never played the game. But it is one of those games where it's kind of like an all-in-one shop from the company, mm-hmm. where you know. You need certain tokens. They're just things yes. that you sort of need in order to make it work. Not to yeah, say that the, that means it's bad. It's just it's uh, the company model of making yeah. money. You should it's, definitely start with Raven Feast, though, because yeah, again, that's Raven Feast was Little Wars again, right? Yes. And they really are doing a lot for mm-hmm. the hobby. Super nice, you know. Um, they were also really fun to talk to. Oh yeah, they're great back people at, at Cold War. So. I wish I wasn't so starstruck. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, oh, internet on. people, what? <laughs> no, it is true. Um, you know, they are, I mean, they they get, at this point, they're getting, um, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 hits on their videos, which is pretty oh, yeah. pretty awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, they have a very interesting little setup, though. You know, um, 
in terms of like where they game and also a few of the guys have backgrounds in in film and video editing and stuff like that so they they just they have a very unique skill set i think well, which yeah, when you put I it think, all together you know yeah i know it's just the one guy who does all the filming um but yeah no like outside of that yeah they they have a really good uh like you said good background to make that yeah, stuff for sure. happen for sure so one of the other topics i wanted to get to today with you kelly is mm-hmm. i wanted to talk to our audience about some of the stuff that we've been doing together for for next gen and for the podcast and stuff hopefully we because here's the thing i I don't know if there's ever been a pod that we've done where we've been really explicit about what next gen is or what it does i I don't think there's ever been an episode about that not really so here why don't i start and i'll loop you in right Sure. so audience members this is i mean as if we haven't been interesting enough already (laughs) talking about our many exploits and gaming so if you put your sort of future of the hobby lenses on. So what NextGen's been doing for the over the last, I would say, three years, we started in really... I mean, I've always run games for kids, but really it was August 2020 where John Spies and I and Jim Stanton kind of came together and decided to do this. What NextGen has been doing over the last three years is essentially a, it's a multifaceted approach just to get more people gaming. And... The the phrase gaming can mean a lot of different things. And for NextGen, it does mean a lot of different things. So, for example, one of the big things that we do, and Kelly, I know know, he's been to a couple of these events over the the years, um, we'll set up shop in a library. So, for example, there's some libraries in New York that we work with. There's a ton of libraries in Connecticut that we work with. And depending on how interested the community is, sometimes we'll run games once a month. Sometimes it might be once a season. And what we'll do is we'll get some facilitators together, meaning people that are interested in pushing the hobby forward. And what we'll do is we'll set up, you know, miniatures games primarily inside libraries. The libraries are the ones who sign, you know, kids up. And we'll have anywhere between six. And I think the largest group we ever had was 20. Uh, you know, with three or four games running at the same time. And we'll just get in there and war game and, and play some games and talk about school and make some connections there and really ultimately just have some fun. And what's been really cool is that a, a number of those kids have gone from gaming with NextGen to gaming at the bigger HMGS conventions, you know? So, Kelly, not to necessarily put you on the spot, but... um. What's your experience been like just as sort of an onlooker? Because I know you always you always say you're new to gaming, even though, I mean, you've got a few years under your belt. What's your experience been coming and watching, you know, the next gen facilitators get games going? I want to say that it's it's magical. Um, because, <laughs> that is a very like, strong it's a word. Big word. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to say it's magical. It also like, took you a second for a second. I was like, oh, my by putting them on the spot too much. Yeah, no. Um, and, and the reason I say that is when I had you guys come over to where I worked to run an event and we had families come by, we had people, different color, creed, background, um, people, A, who had never been to the site, people who have come to the site and wanted to know what, what it was about and try out the games and, and, um, you know, learn what the hobby was like, that was just so amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Because it, to me, it proves, and I believe that like games are just a common denominator that everyone can enjoy, so long as like you have the right game and yeah, you know, it just brings people together. 
you throw dice, you move toy soldiers around, and you're just having a good time. And it yeah. doesn't even have to be toy soldiers. It could literally be anything. Yeah. Um, but it's just a nice, low-stress community um, you know, program, engagement, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's just a good time. And, and yeah. I think we don't get that as much today uh, in, in our modern world with everything going on and all of our distractions, but like to be able to just sit down at a table or come together with people you don't know and, and have fun and laugh and smile at each other like that. That's amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, um, I've noticed the same thing you have. So one of the points that you made in there, I've been running games for kids really since I've started teaching in 2007. And you're right. I think that, you can take a group of kids, group of people. You could have somebody who's super afflu- affluent. You could have somebody who is lower on the socioeconomic, um, you know, totem pole, I guess you could say. You could have a person of Hispanic descent. You could have uh, a, a black American. You could have a white person. You could have the star football player. You could have the math nerd. And there's something about putting dice into people's hands where I don't want to say that all of those differences get put to the side. In fact, I would argue it all kind of gets mixed up. And as people are rolling dice and as people are pushing miniatures around, they're talking about who they are. They're bringing their different skill sets to the table. They're also bringing their different backgrounds, you know, together. And to me, uh, that, I don't know, shouldn't life be that way? You know yeah. what I mean? Not to, not to pontificate, but I don't know. I hate to say it, but may- maybe if more people would do that, maybe we would have less problems, you know, in terms of uh, people in the United States not really understanding each other because we're so distant. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was about to say, like, if more people played games, more people would be happier. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. And especially depending on what you believe, like whatever your creed might be. I don't know. For some people, you might just believe that this is your this is your one go round. So you may as well try to enjoy, um, you know, your life. And again, not to say that everybody has to roll dice, but there is something to be said about sitting at a table with somebody that's not at all like you and getting in there and learning from each other and moving forward, you know, instead mm-hmm. of moving backward. So, I mean, every, Cal- yeah, kind go of ahead, Bill Cal- always said, like, like every creed kind of um, talks about the point of community and, and family and everything. Like, games are yeah. perfect for that. <laughs> you know, it's funny you bring that up. Now, now again, sometimes what's a little weird about this pod is that, you know, it, these episodes can be delayed sometimes, right? Yeah. Now I'm hundred percent going to post this particular podcast that we're doing, uh, you know, n- this coming Friday. So that would be Veterans Day weekend, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's funny you say that. So again, we were Next Gen was born out of really the larger HMGS organization. We are different entities, but we are absolutely connected. And it's funny, John and Jim were just that fallen. In fact, at the time of recording this, probably on their way home at this point. Mm -hmm. But they ran... Kelly, I don't even know if you know this, but they ran a massive day of gaming for a number of students that live in Pennsylvania that are all homeschooled. That essentially these kids... Yeah, yeah. I don't even think we even got a chance to talk about this, but there was something like 30 or 40 adults and kids... Um, who are all connected through these different homeschooling organizations. And John and Jim and some other folks as well ran games for them, ordered pizza. And apparently, I just posted some of the photos on our Instagram page. And it's just really beautiful to see, you know, lots of relatives, lots of parents gaming with the kids. And Jim, and I will I'll quote John on this. 
they were some of the most polite, respectful kids that he's ever worked with. So hopefully it's something that we can kind of keep going. And that's what you're talking about, right? It's like the idea of community, you know, oh, so yeah. we can do that more. Um, you know, all the power to us if we can make it happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, do you mind talking a little, because you've brought, brought an enormous amount to this organization. Um, would you would you be comfortable telling the audience just about some of those things that you've done? Because you've done a lot for us. Um, and really, you've become an integral part of not just this podcast, but, but the next-gen team in general. Yeah, so I guess the biggest thing I've done so far uh well i'll we'll talk about i guess we'll talk about a little bit about the professional development yeah, please, in a minute. Well, you definitely could talk about that too if you'd like yeah um but i think the biggest thing or biggest source of help i've been able to provide is the graphic design work that i've been oh, doing yeah. um so that includes like the new next gen logo which i had some help with from a friend um that includes the flyer at Fallen, or not a mm-hmm. flyer. It's like on the back cover of the front page, which is like, yeah, I'm almost on the front yeah, page. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I made a brochure for Next Gen. Um, I'm in the middle of, or we're in the middle of making uh, a banner for, well, I have a banner in the makes for Next Gen as well. We have to look at some t shirt designs. Um, but we're also doing things for 20 sided gamified podcast. So a big yep. banner, business cards. Um, I have to, yeah. This week, I'm gonna head down to a like print shop and talk about get some quotes for T-shirts and things yeah, like that. Awesome. So, I think that's been the biggest thing I've been able to do is Definitely. kind of branding and and I have no background in that, so th- this is exciting for me. Yeah, it's like ooh, art because I have like you know I like art. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, for sure, it's for like sure. Skill building, you know, it's yeah. it's all that stuff. Yeah, but you also have a, a pretty solid skill set when it when it comes to using for example like Wix and and stuff like that. Like yes. you're, it's far more intuitive to you than it is to me. Yeah. I look at that stuff and it's like looking at a different language. And don't get me wrong, I could figure it out, but um you're just so much more adept at it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um the other thing I would say too, and I know you were alluding to it a little bit, but maybe I can kind of introduce, you know, one of the one of the things that NextGen's been doing and this is something that I've done for years, but but this is really the first time that I've taken um, some of what I've done in the past and what NextGen does and really brought it into the corporate world. So we've we've started to do corporate trainings. Now, if you've ever been to a corporate training before, let's just be honest, most of them are dreadful. <laughs> Meaning, let's say, you know, your organization, whether you work for a bank or you work for a law firm or you work for a school... Don't get me wrong. Some are great, but a lot of them, you know, you just sort of go to a venue, you sit there and somebody talks at you for two hours about leadership. And what NextGen has been doing is we've put together some really interesting gamified lessons, I guess you could call them, gamified workshops, gamified seminars in which what we'll do is we'll take a topic like decisiveness and leadership, or we'll take a topic like teamwork, or we'll take a topic like goal setting. And what we'll do is we'll build programming using games to teach those different skills. And then, of course, you know, you've got, you know, other other types of activities that kind of get, you know, sort of rolled into that. But the bottom line is they are far, far more engaging than I think what a lot of other organizations are sort of offering. And um Kelly, you were kind enough to 
essentially like have us do some work at your place of business. Yeah. And I don't know if you'd be some of it I mean we probably can't talk about, but you know, maybe you know, giving an overview of of what some of that programming has looked like might be kind of cool. Yeah. Um so I guess I'll start from the beginning. Like our, our place of work, like when I started, our department was really small and we've grown over the years. And as we grow, like, you know, more stuff is thrown on our place. So we have we always have haven't had the time to really do professional developments, but that's always something that, you know, my boss wanted to do. Um, and other people, you know, have been interested in because at my place of work, which is different from other people's places of work, is like let's say my department has like 15 20 staff we don't all work at the same place cuz you know we work in a uh in a cultural heritage sort of field so we have a number of historic buildings that are repurposed be they for tours art centers uh, some other sort of administration related thing uh we're we're all spread out <laughs> right so um for me and you know, and discussing things with coworkers and and my you know our my director, um, you know, I've been kind of bringing up the idea of like you know it'd be great to kind of have us come back together and and share and like some professional developments, but have them not be boring like you said, like not have someone come in and talk at us, but have a, have someone come in, give us valuable skills, practical skills while doing something that's fun and practical that could be related to yourself and to the yeah. workspace and to your future self, right? Beyond uh, where you'll be um, like beyond this job, right? Like at your next job or what have you. Um, so I know our first professional development, we had you come in, we did a um, um, kind of just a communication based. Yeah. Development, right? Like we we played zombies. I think the game yeah, was yeah, or side. Really yeah, I love. Yeah, I, yeah. I have to buy that game now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I love zombie games. You know, they are um, they are a ton of fun and they're really collaborative, which I think was great because it was nice to see all of the different attendees. You know, have to kind of group together and figure out how to score the most points in that game. Yeah, you know, it was really, 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 really fun. cool because we're all on the same team, so to speak. Like we're all in the same faction, but we have our separate groups. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, yeah. in in our our separate groups, you you made each character have different attributes. So we had to figure out like how to how we all work together in order to you know perform our goal and, and get all those yeah. points so we would win. Um, but that was really neat. And then like a number of other parts in that. Um, professional development you did like uh I forget the word that you used, but when we had the right on the on the sheet. Oh yeah, yeah. The impediments activity. The impediments activity yeah, it was pretty was tense. Really good. Yeah, you know what? If it's not tense, then it's probably not being done right. Because the bottom line is, you know, if you're thinking about training people and you're thinking about just the sort of idea of trying to impart a little bit of wisdom and some skills on a group of people, there are definitely, no matter where you go, there are always going to be impediments in terms of being the best you can be at your job. Yeah. And you got to sort of talk about those impediments. You kind of get, you kind of have to get that stuff out there if you're going to try to figure out a way to overcome it. Because if you just ignore it and pretend that it's not there and just play a game, I don't, I don't necessarily know if the game is going to have as much meaning without that, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think the greatest part about it is the way you make it self reflective. Mm hmm. And you, like you, next gen, because it, it, it's like, okay, these are the issues, but like, what do you also bring to the table? So, in the yeah. second professional development we did about goal setting, um, 
you know, we we played um, the Roman senator game, uh, yeah. line in the sand, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and through that, like talking about goals and and the the debriefs that we're able to do afterwards shows that like yeah although this is a game at the end of the day like there are real world applications that you could take from this and at this point like you know we're all adults right we we could all kind of like self reflect and be sure. self aware of ourselves um that we then could take that and work on ourselves or or learn how to work better with other people yeah um, for sure so i think that's like really like the great thing um, you know, yeah, that we've been doing. I'm also really glad that you've been able to sit in on some of these because I'm hoping that you know, as we get more contracts and get more gigs and meet more people, hopefully we can kind of bring you into the fold because you're so great. You're really, really great on your team. Because again, Kelly doesn't like talk. I'm I'm going to talk about Kelly in third oh, person. <laughs> yeah, and he's he knows it's coming, but you know. Kelly is you know, a part of that leadership team, you know, within his organization. And it's very obvious that people respect him, you know, in, in the workplace. And, you know, I find that, look, we're all smart people. We could go and find all sorts of research about, you know, different data points about what works in the corporate environment. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I like going more of the anecdotal route, meaning the reason Kelly that you'll be a good facilitator when we start you know doing these more together mm-hmm. is that you've got experience and you know you can talk about some of the things that you've seen in the workplace what works and what doesn't and if you're really reflective what have you done that's been a mistake and what have you done that's been a success yeah. and really kind of show that to people and i think they're going to care a lot more about that than some harvard study about you know incentives in the workplace you know right. that makes sense so they're still going to want those Harvard studies. Oh, no, definitely. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think it's like anything else in life. You kind of need, you need both. You kinda, yes. You're right. You, you do want that, that scientific basis sort of behind it. But yeah, um, to your point, you know, if you're coming from a place of, of – um, I just had the word at the tip of my tongue. Like uh, – You get what it. I mean. Yeah, like, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you come from that place of, of – like meaning like this actually impacted you like and translate that like that that will really uh that'll really hit home yeah for sure so kelly we've been doing this for quite a while probably time to uh probably time to start wrapping up yeah it's been it's been a great conversation and i'm glad that you know you're so willing to help out with next gen and the pod and just be friends and game and do all of that and hopefully you know, I called you the co-host earlier, you know, one of <laughs> one of a few, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can do this again at some point soon, you know. Sure. What do you got going on? So I know you're on vacation, right? So what's the plan for the week? Plan for the week is to rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, right. But I have a lot of painting projects. I want to get wrapped cool. up. I need to start finishing up the pile of shame I accumulated from Historicon. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but uh, what about you? What are you working on? Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm always so busy that it's hard, you know, but <laughs> but in terms of, I think I mentioned this quite a while ago on one of the pods that we did. So the, the project I'm sort of uh, into right now is the War of the Roses, which I didn't know a massive amount about in advance. So it's been nice because I've been slowly but surely painting up uh, all these kind of like classic Essex 15 millimeter miniatures, putting them on big like 120 millimeter by 40 millimeter bases. And because the way that the War of the Roses was fought 
um, they would fight sort of in battles next to their lords, mm-hmm. uh, meaning the you know basic rank and file. And sometimes it could almost be hard to distinguish troop types. They kind of fought in like, like a big mass. So I think for this, having them all all different types of figures on one base kind of looks cool, you know. But what's been really nice, uh, and I've said this before, especially about games, you know, it gets you reading. So I've been doing a lot of reading about the War of the Roses and learning about why the conflict happened and. It's been uh, a ton of fun. So that so depending on what my time frame looks like during the week, um, I'll probably you know paint a few units, you know, in between like doing work and stuff because this is still kind of my busy se- season at my job. Mm-hmm. My job is very busy September to basically Thanksgiving, and once you kind of get through Thanksgiving, um, that's when I find everything starts to slow down a little bit. You know, parents know their kids better, the kids understand the curriculum better, they know you better. The other thing is I always have a big Model UN trip in, in November where we take the kids to Princeton. So there's a, there's always a lot happening. And I'm just getting to the point where it's starting to get slow. So, gotcha. You know? Um, I was going to ask... Uh, that's sure, what's up? The War of the Roses, that's Plantagenets, right? So That's when the house falls apart. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. So the the root of... the Really, the root of the conflict is that... So Henry V... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Henry V, he has more or less like an infant son and Henry ends up getting they supposedly dysentery and dies at like 35 or 36. And the problem there, and this is really the problem of monarchy, right, is that now you have like this, I, don't quote me, but I think like a 9 or 10th month old, month old Henry VI, he becomes king at 9 or 10 months old. So the problem is that anytime you have that kind of situation, you're going to have different people trying to, you know, have a power grab and really try to rule the kingdom. And on top of that, if as if that's not an issue enough, Henry VI had all kinds of problems in his life. So I don't want to, hopefully this is not boring the audience to death. I hope <laughs> I'm interested in it. I know Kelly is. So just very quickly. So Henry VI, he, as he sort of grew older, we don't know if it was depression or a psychotic episode. We don't really know what caused it, but he had this moment in adulthood where he kind of like lost his mind and didn't speak for years and kind of got locked away. And once that happened, um, long story short, Richard Duke of York, he's kind of the, I don't know if you consider him a hero or a villain. He's kind of the guy who's sort of like, all right, this is not working, you know, and more or less tries to take the crown and, so you've got the Yorkists and then yeah. Henry the Sixth family or the Lan- the Lancasters and or the Lancasters, depending on how you want to pronounce it. <laughs> and yeah, it's just really wild and chaotic. It's one of those conflicts that can even be hard to understand just because different groups in England would switch sides all the time. Mm. And there was just this wild power struggle for really over 30 years. And it's it's very, very, very interesting stuff. So I've I've enjoyed doing some reading on the topic. And there's also a TV show that the BBC came out with a number of years ago ago called The White Queen. I think that's what it's called. And it's a BBC show. It came out maybe 10 years ago. And it's basically the story of um, this woman who got married to essentially Edward IV, who was Richard's son. So he was a Yorkist. And he basically rules England for X amount of years. And 
It's all about that struggle to stay in power. If that's if this sounds familiar, but you don't know anything about the War of the Roses, this is for the audience. If it sounds a lot like Game of Thrones, it does because really George R. R. Martin based a lot of you know his his books around this particular conflict. So if it sounds familiar, you're it's probably because you saw the show. And then not to make the pod longer, but uh, <laughs> what, like what got you into it? <laughs> oh, uh, what got me into it? Yeah, is Titch White. So I'm sure he's listening out there. So let me tell you, being friends with Titch is really like a wonderful thing. He's really like one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's got the nicest family in the world. I've known the dude since I was 10 years old, but he's dangerous. He's dangerous because he'll get you hooked on something. And if you listen to the last pod that that I did with him where we talked about the big game versus small game, the man is a psycho when it comes to making purchases. So of course, it's my it's really my fault. I poked at him about this. But I was sort of like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sort of interested in the War of the Roses, you know. I've, you know, do you have do you have a few figures, you know, that, that you're not painting? So of course, you know, he immediately beelines a package to me of miniatures, and of course it wasn't enough. Yeah, so it's his fault, really. I, so do, I completely do you think blame he, him. He purposely did that, you know. Oh, he only 100%. left a couple. Okay. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, he, you know, he just loves that. He loves that stuff. So that's funny. But I'm picking on him too much. I think in part it was because um, I started rewatching Game of Thrones recently and started, you know, making the connection between you know the real historical period and the show. And I don't know. It's kind of a cool period. Also, my buddy Tim Cooper from England. Um, he and I can't off the top of my head, I cannot remember the, I think it's David Knight. I, I, I think I'm correct on that. The two of them wrote a set of War of the Roses rules and I bought them from them at Historicon. So I had the rules. I've been rewatching the show and that's kind of what kind of got me into it. So I'll post some photos. Maybe when I uh, post this episode, I'll post some photos of some of the stuff that I've been painting. So yeah, I think you should. I know uh, just listening to other podcasts, like War of the Roses seems to be popular. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I think that's having like a big comeback right now. Yeah. I yeah. I might be well, confusing I, that with English Civil War. No, but. no, no, no. I don't think you, I don't think you are because there was another set of rules that came out. I think it's called Never Mind the Bill Hooks. I yes, think is, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, and, yeah. And yep, that's, that's been, it. yeah, that's been in War Games Illustrated and a few other magazines. I wonder if, um, what is it, War Games Soldiers and Strategy? I wonder if they've done something on it as well. But um, have, yeah. it seems like you know there have been a couple of you know recent rule sets that have come out, and it you know again it, it's kind of a cool period because you know you can get some some nice colors in there. The flags are really cool, so it, it's a definitely an eye catching type of period. So you know. Um, by the way, it's, I'm not used to getting the questions. By the yeah, way, yeah, you like that? I feel like you. I gotta not really, to be honest. I don't really. I know. I don't really like talking about myself, but, <laughs> um, but look. On that note, um, I guess me not liking talking about myself. Um, I I do think we're out of time. This has been an absolute blast, and for our audience members, I I do want to put out more pods like this, meaning bringing some friends on. Talking a little bit about next gen and the pod itself, talking about gaming. So you should, if you enjoyed this um, and you made it all the way through, even through my history lesson of the, you know, War of the Roses, um, we're going to try to put more episodes out like this. So, Kelly, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Apparently, you're going to brunch, right? Is that yes. happening? Yeah. All right, awesome. <laughs> well, enjoy your brunch. I'm going to go out for a walk and you know try to prevent a uh, heart attack. You know what I mean? Because you're <laughs> getting old. Um, Got to stay healthy. And uh, for our audience out there, 
I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day. And Kelly, again, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.